changed your name. You're yeah, not even the same band. They're not even yeah, Newsboys anymore? Newsboys United. Oh, Newsboys United? That's not the name of the band. Or that, is that just, that is, is that the new, is that the new, oh, that's the tour. That's a great I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. You know, I went to, where did I go? Where did I go? I went, to, I went to a Radiohead concert in Indianapolis. Ryan, do you really like the Newsboys? And it was impossible not to get a contact high at their Radiohead concert. Because, like, it was just this cloud of weed just, like, hanging over. It just was. And I'm just like, I'm like, I forgot my gas mask. Gosh. Well, and, and the thing is that there were, there were stadium cops, like, running around busting people all the time. But then, like, two, two minutes after they would go, somebody else would be like, breaking one out <laughs> and I'm just like do you not <coughs> anyway so I have never smoked anything in my life but that was an interesting day um, <laughs> that was a great concert though Radiohead did 28 songs oh my god so many songs 28 songs and some of their songs are 8 and 9 minutes long it was impressive incredible they took a 15 minute Intermission, and then they came back out, and they did probably did like another fifteen songs. Died. I was just blown away, and three encores. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Three encores. Three Radiohead. They did three stinking encores, and I was just the thing. I was really glad that because the last encore they did the one song that I really, really, really wanted to hear, and I was so happy because I didn't think they were going to do it. And the thing is, they almost never do that song live. And I know that, so I wasn't expecting it. But when they came out the last time and they just played the first chord, I was like, <laughs> okay, here we go. Radiohead is an important band to me. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to agree with me if you don't want to, but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> they're a British band. They're from the 90s, and but they're still making incredible music. They're still making music? Yeah, they just put out an album last year. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. In fact, their best album that they've ever done came out in like 2000 and... Ten? 2011? I just didn't know. That was seriously their best album ever. But anyway. Uh, yeah, they're still making great music. Uh, so, check them out. But, uh, okay. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for attention deficit disorder and lord we just pray that you would uh just use it and do good things um whatever you want to say today lord is what we want to hear so plow the fallow ground plant good seed raise it up to a harvest of righteousness for your namesake you are worthy of our praise adoration and worship holy spirit i am yours and uh, grant me the grace to be the steward of the mysteries of God today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I think that we ended on chapter 5, verse 14. I think I didn't dare to continue into verse 15 because there's some really whiz-bang stuff in there. So... That's where we'll start, is verse 15. But, 
Okay, as a, as a recap, okay, we just finished talking about how sin had entered the world and it, and it reigned in the world from Adam to Moses regardless of the law, and that even when the law came, it didn't save anyone, it just brought a standard, um, it, it, which actually sin then used as a weapon, which is what sin always does. Sin always takes the beautiful things that God gives and turns them into a weapon to destroy you. That's what sin always does. Look at all the beautiful things that God created. Look at sex. Look at, uh, um, you know, a love of life. Look at uh, uh, eating. Look at all these beautiful things. All these things are things that God created, which sin then came in and turned around and made into weapons to destroy you. Coffee. Although sin hasn't yet succeeded. And and it might be the one thing sin's never able to. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But that's what sin does. Um, And sin did that with the law. Sin took the law and made it into a bludgeon with which it could destroy you even further. And the Apostle Paul was talking about that. And he's saying, but, okay, so... He said, when Adam sinned, it brought sin and death to all mankind. Right? One transgression brought sin and death to all mankind. Now, he's saying, but the free gift of God is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Okay. Are your minds bended yet? That is a mind bendy <coughs> verse. All right. Uh, let's dig in, shall we? Okay. The free gift is not like the transgression. So Adam's sin started a uh, started an uh, you know the dominoes falling, and and from that point forward, sin and death were were continued and and increased through all of mankind. Okay? But then Jesus came, and through a new Adam, a whole new man, Jesus took it and, and sent it backwards, but not just backwards. He went back, backward, through, all the way back through Adam to give grace, and he went forward all the way through to the end of the age. With the, with the grace of God that was set loose by the cross of Jesus Christ. It was set loose by the gift of God's grace through the one man, Jesus Christ, and it bounded to the many. Okay? And he's saying, if you thought sin was powerful, take a look at grace. To where sin brought death and destruction to all mankind. Grace is bringing life. It's undoing you see, we got to understand, grace does more than undoing sin. Grace does more than just saying, remember we've talked about this, than just bringing you to zero. Grace goes and takes you into the positive. So not only did God give us back what sin took from us, 
But God's giving us more than sin ever took from us. And God's taking everything that sin did and through grace, making it glorious unto the name of Jesus Christ. And he's going to send grace through the universe to renew the entirety of creation. Are you all following me right now? Does this make sense to you? Because not only does God undo what sin did, but God takes what sin did and reverses it. God takes what sin did and uses that damage to bring glory to God. Look at what happened to Jesus. Jesus gets crucified. He gets the the crown of thorns on his head. He gets the furrows down his back. He gets the nails in his hands and in his feet. And yet in heaven, does God erase those scars? No. In heaven, God glorifies those scars. So where the very damage that sin has caused now becomes the glory of God. So I want you to begin to think about everything that sin has done to your life. Because every single thing that sin has done to your life will in heaven on that day become the glory of God. People will look and see you and say, look at all of the sin you were involved in and look at where you are now. You see how beautiful that is? God doesn't erase our pain and suffering. God glorifies our pain and suffering. God doesn't erase our struggle and our difficulty. God makes our struggle and our difficulty worth it. By taking our scars, our brokenness, our mistakes, our foolishness, and making it his glory. Oh, come on. This is good news, folks. Every stupid decision you have made will one day be the glory of God. Is that great news or what? That is, that is so good news. That is so much better news than just, hey, God's going to forget everything you did. It's a weird feeling. Your full body chills, you know? It's a good step. I think for so long we've, we've heard the, the message of the gospel as just you get a new start. And that's true. You do get a new start. But it's more than that. Because you get a new start, but you're not throwing away everything that's happened from now and from the beginning until now. All of that becomes ammunition. All of that becomes your equipment. Your scars become your, the jewels in your crown. Your pain becomes the tools in your belt to do what God wants you to do from here forward. And on that day, people will see the life you lived. And instead of saying, you horrible, disgusting, evil person, they're going to glorify God and say, God can even rescue one like you and one like me. And look how stupid I was. And look what God did with it. This is who we are. God is more powerful than sin. And grace is more powerful than sin. So then, verse 18, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even though through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Uh oh. 
I'm going to read that verse again. I, I, I just want you to give me the, the, the just plain old reading of that simple verse. Tell me what you think that means. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. What does that mean? What does it mean? Somebody interpret it for me. Come on. Yeah, right? That's all it says, right? Just going to leave that there. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Wow, simple. <laughs> I, I want you to be familiar with verses that a lot of our tradition just, just move right on by or try and explain away. This verse sounds extremely universalist. Does it not? Does it not? I mean, does it not? It says to all men. Now, we will all agree that condemnation came to all men, correct? But can, do we all agree that justification came to all men? Do we agree with that? Does the assemblies of God agree with that statement that justification came to all men? The answer is no. The answer is no. The assemblies of God would say, well, what do you mean? It's, it's available to all men, but not all men will take it up. But that is not what it says. And if it is what it said, then it would say it. But it doesn't say that. He says condemnation went to all men because of sin and because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Justification went to all men. He uses the same phrase twice. Once it means to all men, which probably means that the second time it means to all men. I mean, I, I would think maybe, maybe just a little bit. Okay, do you think he's going to use the same phrase twice and mean something different in the same sentence? So I'm not saying that you should be a universalist. I'm just saying you need to wrestle with this verse. And I'm just saying that maybe the, the way that you've thought about the Bible is not, Correct. you know, may, maybe you should allow some questions. I am not a universalist. I'm not. I'm really not. Although a lot of me would like to be, but I'm not. I, I'm serious, though. Okay? I'm not. But that verse bugs me. As a person who's not a universalist, that verse makes me go, well, what the heck am I going to do with that? And it is not the only one. If it was the only one, then I would, could just be like, well, that's just one verse. But there's actually about 37 verses that say almost exactly the same thing. I have a list of them somewhere. If you want it, you can have it. Let's continue. For as through all... Is everybody having fun today? For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those three, those three verses right there, are like number one or number two on every universalist's brain. 
You need to know that they exist because somebody's going to come to you and say, what about these verses? They say that it's to all men. What are you going to do with it? And I don't know what to do with it yet. I'm just going to be entirely honest with you. Now, I will say there's a lot of other verses that make it sound exactly the opposite to that. Even in this very book. Okay? So, I don't know what to do, and the Bible doesn't really help. It just sets up the paradox and says, have fun, folks. And the Bible does that all the time. For instance, the whole predestination argument is a gigantic paradox that just lives in Scripture, and we're just supposed to live. We're just supposed to deal. God has predestined. We make choices. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Either God said, and the answer is, ah. Right? I think God does this kind of thing specifically so that nobody can, no, no honest student of scripture can honestly say they have him figured out. God is not interested in being put in a box. So God's going to trick you. He's going to come around the outside of your box and tap you on the shoulder just as you think you get to close the lid. Like that is, that, that's who he is. He's constantly, constantly going, thought you understood me. Oh, you're wrong. You know, <laughs> that, that's just who he is. And it requires that we trust him. It requires that we say, I, there's so much about you, God, that I do not know, that I do not understand. So I'm just going to follow you, and I'm going to and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live in this place where mystery is not intimidating to me. In fact, maybe we should live in this place where mystery is alluring. Maybe we should live in this place where I don't have him figured out, and isn't that wonderful? You see, there's, it, it, it all depends on what part of yourself you want to give power to. Because there's the part of us that wants to control God. And that's the part that says, I need to know the exact right answer to every question. Okay? And that's the religious part of us. That's the part of us that says, I need to have levers with which I can control and predict God's future behavior. If I do this, God will bless me. Like, I need to be able to do that, okay? I need to be able to offer this particular sacrifice and know that that means that my crops are going to come, okay? I need to be able to give this much money and know that that means God's going to bless my finances. And by God blessing my finances, that means I'm going to have more than enough money to pay my bills and whatever, okay? But the reality is God looks at all of that and goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That God just kind of, he loves to just knock the controller out of our hands and be like, I'm not a video game. I'm a person. And faith equals trust. And that means you're just going to have to trust me. That when you don't understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, I'm still good. To welcome to the beauty of the conundrum. The glory of the paradox. The, if you will let that side of you, that curiosity 
inside of you of what is going on there? If you will let that propel you in to intimacy with God and leave behind the I must control God because I am afraid he's going to, you know, if we can just trust him to be good, then we can begin to explore his nature and we are not, we don't need to feel intimidated with a God who's different than we thought. And we can let Jesus be Jesus and not the little crayon picture of Jesus that we drew when we were five. Amen. Oh, glory be to God. Okay. Now, Paul begins... He just said that God's going to take all of our sin and he's going to use it to glorify his name. And so there's going to be some idiot that says, well, if that's the case, I better get busy sinning then. Woo! If God's going to take every stupid decision I made and use it to glorify him, I should start making some stupid decisions. Right? There's always somebody, there's always going to be that guy. There's always going to be that guy that when God says, hey, I want you to be mature, says mature means ready for sex, and they're just going to start doing stupid things, okay? It's the opposite of mature. Okay, that's immaturity. That's not maturity. Okay, that's when, you know, I mean, how many times have I over the years given freedom to a group of students or whatever and had them just turn it into crap, and then I have to come in and just be like, here are the walls, sorry, it all falls apart. Why? Because you ruined it. Right? I would rather not be a dictator. I would rather be the guy that says, just be smart. Rules are stupid. Okay? Intelligent people don't need rules. That's how I feel. People that understand and people that, that care about what's important don't need rules to live their lives. Uh, Augustine said it like this. He said, love God and do what thou wilt. In other words, if, if God is the most important thing to us, sin will not be our first choice. If we love God more than anything else and we love our neighbor as ourselves, I don't need you to tell me not to steal from you. Does that make sense? But people are idiots and they're going to say, see, Paul said right here that God's going to take my sin and glorify God with it, so I should probably sin more. And Paul's just like, face palm, no. No, no, no. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may increase? No. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, have you guys heard the, uh, on the new Bethel album, the Ain't No Grave song? Yes. Okay. What I love about that song is it takes, because she didn't write the music of that song. By the way, Molly is amazing. She, like, like every good piano part you've ever heard in a Bethel album Molly. since the Beth, since the <laughs> Helzers came along, it's Molly. Okay. She's traveled with the Helzers 
she lives on the same compound that they do. Man, you she was okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> they that's, have a compound. <laughs> they do, and and they all live together, and it's like this really cool like experiment in community. It's really awesome, actually. Um, but uh, but uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But and she's amazing. I love her voice, and she's just you know, she is. She's incredible. And you hear her voice when she's singing. It's just like, whoo, come on, girl. And, uh, come on, and, come on, and she, she just, she sings. She's got that same thing, that same freedom thing, you know, on her. And, and, uh, and it's just great stuff. It's just really good. But that song I love, and the reason I love it is because she's taken the verses and she's rewritten them. And so now it's not just about physical death. Because that song was really an eschatological song. It was about the resurrection from the dead. And she still leaves that in on the like third verse or whatever. But, and that's fine, and it's true, because that's real. We are going to rise from the dead, are we not? Yes, we are. But she, in the first two verses, makes it about right now, right here, this life. And about the death that would seek to destroy us even in this moment. And, I, and I'm saying, I've got resurrection life, so ain't no grave going to hold me down. Okay? And she starts with like, fear is a liar always telling me to run. She's like, shame is a prison. And she's talking directly to this stuff that would put me in, into death. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, I don't have to agree with that crap anymore. And I'm going to walk in newness of life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here. He says, he says, uh, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life right now. Resurrection power doesn't have to wait until you're dead. Resurrection power begins this minute. Resurrection power is available to you in this moment. And every piece of death that sin has brought to our lives can be resisted and stood against by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that's where we live. That's why sin makes no sense. That's why choosing to walk in the way of our old dead selves makes no sense at all. Do living people go spend time in coffins? Then stop acting like a dead person. Are you alive? Stop acting like a dead person. Does this make sense? My life isn't about that stuff anymore. My life is about this new life, which has begun in me already. My resurrection began the day I said yes to Jesus. It doesn't wait for that day when my physical body is raised from the dead. It's already begun. Resurrection power is at work within me right now. And not just in me, but through me. I walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. The priorities of a dead person are quite different than the priorities of a living one. I died, but I am not dead anymore. Truth is, I was dead until I died. Now I'm really, truly living. Death was at work in me, and now life is at work in me. Undoing everything that death ever did. Turning it around on its head. I love, 
I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I love, love, love uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this, in the very first book, when Aslan rises from the dead, spoilers, when Aslan rises from the dead, (laughs) I mean, the movie is 15 years old. The book is like 80 years old. But anyway, hey, um, he says, Aslan says that when an innocent victim is, is killed on behalf of a traitor, that even death itself begins to move in reverse. That's good stuff, man. That's so good that with Jesus' death and the defeat of death, now death is moving in reverse. It's backing up. It's being undone. Imagine everybody from Infinity War going from black dust into a human being. That's what's happening right now. I speak that that into existence. (laughs) The only person I care about is we need Peter Parker back because he's awesome. Everybody else. He's already confirmed. But it might be like his force ghost or something. No, it's not. Like Luke Skywalker will be in in in, in episode nine. He's going to be a force ghost, right? Okay. <laughs> oh man. Therefore, we have been bar- Okay, where were we? All right. For he who has died is free from sin. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. When Jesus died, you were with him on that cross. When Jesus went into the grave, you were with him in the grave. And when Jesus came out of the grave, you were with him when he came out of the grave. Last year at Easter, uh, I preached this, this message. Because Easter isn't just Jesus' resurrection. Easter is yours. Easter is the resurrection that's already begun in your life. Because when Jesus died on the cross, you were dying with him. When Jesus went into the grave, you were in the grave with him. And when Jesus came out of the grave, you came out of the grave with him. And Jesus left a lot of stuff in the grave. He left all your sin, all your brokenness, all your failure, all of the things that you used to be. He left in death and he brought whole new things out of the grave with him. He brought resurrection life out of the grave with him, and you're coming out of the grave with him, bringing new life. Okay? And so what we did at our church was we had, we had this, uh, this, it was a, a flame, and I had given everyone flash paper to write the stuff that they were leaving in the grave. Okay? And they walked up to the grave, and they threw the flash paper in the fire, <laughs> gone. And then I handed them a card which said, a new life, a new mind, new power, a new purpose, a new family. Because that's what you brought out of the grave with you. 
What you brought out of the grave with you was the mind of Christ. What you brought out of the grave with you is the purpose of the kingdom. What you brought out of the grave with you is the ability to say no to sin every single time. What you brought out of the grave with you, when you came out of that grave with Jesus, you brought a new life with you and you brought a new family. You became a part of a new family because you were baptized into Jesus' death, but you were also baptized into each other. Because it wasn't just you in that grave with Jesus, it was the entirety of the church that was in that grave with Jesus. And when we went into that grave with Jesus, we came out again with Jesus, connected to one, to one another in a way we had never been before. We share one life. Jesus' resurrection life. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. I left sin in that grave. I'm not going back in to get it. It's dead. It's staying there. And I'm walking free. Because that's why Jesus died. Jesus died to kill death and to kill sin. He died because sin always has to die. Jesus took hold of sin and jumped off the cliff with it. God raised Jesus from the dead and he climbed back up the mountain, but your sin stayed broken at the bottom. That's how this works. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it less and its lesson. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This is who you are. Anybody that tries to tell you that grace is permission to, to sin has never read the frickin' Bible. It's all right. There's grace. I can do whatever I want. I don't know why he has a southern accent. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I can do what I want. Jesus is going to forgive me because there's so much grace. And yay, we can do whatever we want. Are you, did you read Romans 6? Grace is the power to live free from sin, to make choices that are actually good for you, to make choices that are actually going to lead to your freedom and to the fulfillment of the dream that God had when he created you. That's what grace is. Grace is the ability to say no to all the things that have locked you down for so long. Grace is the ability to say, that's not me anymore. I am new. I am someone else. I am not who I was. The day we believe this, you see, the problem is, I know that just because we are able to read this and be like, amen, that we don't necessarily experience it. And I would say this to you, the difference between your, what you cognitively assert to be true and what you see as true in your actual life, the difference is that you don't trust him. Every time we return back to our old way of life, it's because we don't trust him to do, to live his way. 
we think we're hearing bad news from our old self that's telling us that Jesus' way is not going to satisfy us the way that we used to be satisfied. It's the, Israel, it's the Israelites in the desert all over again. Well, at least in Egypt, we had onions. Well, come on, guys. You're free. Your idiot flesh is telling you that you were happier as slaves. <coughs> Don't listen to it. It's a lie. And you're never going to inherit the promised land when you're stuck in Egypt. By the way, almost all of Paul's language is Exodus language. Okay? You need to understand, Paul, Paul views what Jesus has done for us as an Exodus story. It's really interesting to read Romans as a new exodus. You begin to see that Paul is looking back. He, do, he, he rarely refers to exodus in this, but it's, it's woven all throughout it. The story of the place where you were and the place where you're headed and the God who set you free from the place where you were. And you have this uh, odd obsession with where you came from when you should be looking forward to where you're going. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of <coughs> obedience resulting in righteousness. There's something we need to change. Um, we need to change the definition of the word believe. Can we do that? I want to change. I want to change the definition. I want to change the definition of two words for you today. Today, we're only going to take two words to change the definition of Okay, I want to change the definition of faith for you, and I just want you to translate it as trust, because that's real. And I want to change the definition of believe for you. Believe is acting like you trust. Belief in the New Testament is, an, is a, it's a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. It's not something that happens in your brain. It's something that happens in your body. It's not something that happens in your heart. Okay? In uh, Indiana Jones and the, and the Last Crusade. Okay? Indy was not believing when he stood on the edge of the cliff looking down and saying, I'm going to die. Indy was believing when he stepped out into thin air and found that it was solid. That was belief. Belief is making the step. Belief isn't thinking I'm going to be fine, but never doing anything. Belief is action. It takes place. It's a physical thing. Okay? <coughs> so... What then shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to slaves 
uh, for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. What, the, the question isn't what is in your head. The question is what is in your body? Who are you obeying? Who are you believing? Are you living out Jesus way or are you living out your flesh way, the old way, the way of sin, the way of death? Because the way of sin is going to lead you to die and everything that sin tells you to do is going to lead you to some kind of death. But everything that Jesus leads you to do is going to lead you to some kind of life because you died already and you don't get to go back to death. Are you with me? But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Have you ever noticed that when people are involved in sin, they get worse and worse and worse and worse? Nobody stays at one level of sin their whole life. You start sinning and then you become a worse sinner and you become a worse sinner and you become a worse sinner. Nobody just kind of like hovers around. I'm only this bad. Addiction leads you to deeper addiction, leads you to worse addiction, leads you to death. That's what it does. Sin is the same way. Talk to anybody about any sin, and it's going to start off rather simply. Well, I just started looking at, you know, the Victoria's Secret ads. And then I went on to full-blown pornography, and now I'm looking at child pornography. Okay? That's what sin does. Sin increases. Sin expands. Sin continues. Sin goes farther. Because what did it for you before is not going to do it for you again. Are you with me? But righteousness works the same way. The more you lean into righteousness, the more it expands, the more righteous you become. And all of a sudden you find that the things that were interesting to you five years ago are not interesting to you anymore. The ways that you used to think are no longer ways that you think. And you, when you bump into someone who's still thinking the way that you used to think, you're like, ew, gross. Is that who I used to be? And you don't say, wow, I'm so awesome. You say, Jesus, thank you. Because you didn't do it. He did it. But that's how righteousness works. For when you were slaves... Of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. <laughs> Therefore, what benefit were you der uh, then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got to get this. There's no such thing as a believer that's becoming more and more sinful. If you're becoming more and more sinful, you don't believe.
Now, here's the question. Is there like a line where, oops, I crossed <coughs> that line and now I'm unsavable? No. No, that, that doesn't exist. The minute you go, oh, crap, I'm not believing, and you turn back to God and say, help, you're good. You're good, okay? There's no... You're good. <laughs> you didn't need forgiveness anyway. But this is why I say this to I, I, I say this often. If Jesus, if you're not different than you were three months ago, then you're not in touch with Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything he's connected to. Always. And there'll never be a day when you look up and be like, you know what, I'm good. That day's not coming. Because that would only come when we are completely, entirely, exactly like Jesus. And that's not going to happen. A trillion years from now, we are, gonna, we are still going to be <coughs> saying, boy, I have a lot to learn. <coughs> Isn't that great? Come on, that is exciting. I'm excited about that. <laughs> because I get bored easily, friends. Let's just be honest. If Jesus wasn't continually fascinating, then what, why do I even want to go to heaven? Okay. Takes eternity to explore an eternal God. Takes, takes eternity to explore the infinite. And that's what we've been called to do. And here's what's really cool. This is something that, 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 that we need to understand, okay? Heaven first of all, is not a place we're going to. It's a place that's coming here. You need to understand that. It's very important that you understand that. Because we've had it wrong for a long time. Well, one day I'm going to go to heaven and whatever. No, no, no. Also, heaven is not a, 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 a place of floating spirits. It's a physical manifest reality that isn't less real than where we are. It's more real than where we are. And what's going to happen on what's going to happen is we're going to grow to the place where we see creation as it is. Right now you see through a glass darkly. You can't see the angels that are whizzing around in this room. You can't see the movement of the Holy Spirit in this room. Now we can partially because there we we are we do exist in the invisible realm, okay? We 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 kind of have some clue that there's stuff going on, especially when the Holy Spirit begins to move and you're like, who I've got, you know, my liver is quivering. Right. Okay. What? So like, okay. Like, like, you know, you're going to be like, I feel God all up in my spirit right now. Like, you know, stuff You're like that. Okay. Well, hey, you know, in the old Testament, <laughs> in the old Testament, the word for soul is the same word as bowels. I think we've discussed this before. Okay. I think the word bowel is so funny. So, so, it's, <laughs> so it's, your soul is actually like down here. 
okay? You know, we kind of like, you know, put our hand over our heart, but, but that's, that's not. The Old Testament, if you were going to put your hand over your soul, you would put it like on your gut, right? The pledge so weird now. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag. Oh, can I, I? I was sitting. I was sitting at my son's. This is a total different tangent, and I don't really want to go here, but we're going to anyway. No, we're not. Okay, I'll come back to it later. You already went there now. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there because I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to get sidetracked. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's here, okay? So it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not located in any specific place in your body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in every atom of your body, and God is in you, okay? And when, when heaven comes here, we aren't, what, what's going to happen is we will be changed so that we are aware of both physical and visible and invisible realms at once. Our, well, our awareness will be broadened to what's really true. Do you know that like 80% of the mass of the galaxy is, is uh, dark matter and dark energy? That the galaxy would actually just fly apart if, the, if, we, if there wasn't dark matter and dark energy like out there? But that science has no clue what dark matter and dark energy actually are. No clue. That's what some of these big colliders like CERN and these others, like the, the you know, that they're trying, that some of the things that they're trying to do is discover what the heck dark matter is. That's not been like mostly negative, like when they're trying to research it, it's mostly been fails and negative. Oh, not necessarily. I mean, they've learned a heck of a lot. Yeah. But see, that's science. Science is, maybe it's like this. Nope, it's not. Maybe it's like this. Nope, it's not. Maybe it's like this. And that's fine. Nobody cares if they fail. That's great. Failure is just as much of a, of, of a success as, as if we were proved correct. Because we've ruled out these things and we have five new questions and isn't that exciting? That's how science works. Yeah. Uh, which I think is great, by the way. I think when we fail... In our lives, we should just be like, this is so exciting. We never do that, though, do we? I, I think we should. I think we should be as excited about our failures as we are about our quote-unquote successes. Because the, the, we, we, failure is a better truth teacher than success. Because we assume when we succeed that we're the reason we succeeded. And I'm not saying that we're that it that's always false. That might be slightly true. I mean, you may have done some things right, but that's the assumption we automatically make. Well, it worked, so I should do that again, right? Okay. But when we fail, <coughs> when we fail, we really don't want to point the finger at ourselves. We'd rather point our finger at somebody else. And so, um, um, uh, but eventually, we will come to the grinding conclusion that yeah, it was your fault. You failed. And it, that's more often right than it was your fault that you succeeded. <laughs> so I think you learn more from failure than you do from success. That's just, that's, I'm just throwing that out there. Plus, you don't often become proud because you failed. That's a good point. 
Unfortunately, we do when we succeed. I obviously know everything about everything because I succeeded. Like Howard Schultz, who is now apparently, because he can sell coffee, thinks he can be the president of the United States. (laughs) You know, anybody know what I'm talking about right now? The CEO of Starbucks is going to be running for president. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Goff knows yeah. Why doesn't Bob Goff run for president? Let's Amen. Talk about it. Let's have Bob Goff run for president. Run. I would that vote would Bob. for Bob Goff. I would vote for Bob yeah, so quickly. We would, all have, we would all have the president's phone number. That's cool. <laughs> we could just, like, just text him all the time. What's up, president? Uh, like, that's cool. Mr. President, I need to talk to you. <laughs> Mr. President. I need you to send a nuclear bomb to my ex-girlfriend's Mr. President Bob Goff? Oh my gosh, it sounds great. President Goff. <gasps> sounds so good! I'm writing that. Okay, writing it down. I'm starting a campaign. A writing campaign, Bob Goff for president. I'm going to email him oh. about it today. Oh. <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> I, I think you should do He's it. Such a cool guy. I'm going really to actually sit down and do Mr. Goff, you need to run for president. The problem is, let me say this to you, I think that if Bob Goff ran for president, he would have some he would have some platforms that a lot of Christians would not like. I know, but I like that. That's I would that's probably why I would vote for him. <laughs> so anyway, let's continue. <laughs> and another tangent. Oh, there's that all these tangents. One. That was a worth it. That was one. a great one. Okay. I don't remember where we were. I don't remember what we were talking about. Uh, so we were talking about this where the where the soul is, and then we went. I don't even remember what got happen? us to Bob Goff. <laughs> I don't remember how we got to Bob Goff running for president. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because because success, you know, success teaches us to be to think that we understand everything, um, and yeah. So when I see somebody like that, who, I mean, sure, he has four billion dollars. Good for him. But like, um, uh, and I'm not saying he's bad at everything, but I'm saying that not that doesn't necessarily equate that you would be good for this nation. Okay. Just because you made a TV show that people liked called The Apprentice does not mean just because you can build big buildings and go bankrupt over and over again does not mean that you're going to be a good president. Anyway, let's continue. Anyway. I need to scream. I'm not going to. Uh, anyway. Whew. Yes, it was. Look at this. Empire that I have built by my glory, and God was like, "No, <laughs> yes, you get to eat grass. You're gonna, your hair's gonna grow long, your nails are gonna go crazy, and you're, you're gonna." It was Howard Hughes. It was the Howard Hughes thing that happened. You guys know who Howard Hughes is? Never mind. Kind of the same thing happened to Howard Hughes that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and I had never put that together until just now. Um, did you ever see that movie with with? Uh, did did you ever see that movie? It was called The Aviator with uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and that was Howard Hughes. And by the end, he was going crazy and keeping his fingernail clippings in his urine and jars and watching movies over and over again. Yeah, it was very bad. It was he went he he went crazy. Howard Hughes, he went crazy. He was he was uh, he was a genius inventor and businessman, filmmaker. Um, but uh, yeah, he. He did. He he went certifiably. Cuckoo. 
So did my second grade teacher. Uh, it it happened. She went full right, on, like weird right, hippie, right after, psychotic. Right after you Actually, yes. All, all of my elementary school teachers are either dead or like in an, an insane my, asylum. My former, my former band instructor did the same thing. He, he went crazy. And we had a principal, one, one of the former principals of Leo High School was actually seen riding a bicycle through the town completely naked except for a hat. That's not something that, you know. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, we have we have about we have about 19 minutes left. We actually got through that entire chapter remarkably quickly. Let me look at my notes cuz I didn't really even use them. No, we're good. Okay. Are you going to be okay over here? <laughs> Are there questions right now? Uh, he was not my teacher. He was the principal. And yes, he did get arrested. And, and was, you know. And every time, you know, because later on he would like come to basketball games and things and we'd all be like. <laughs> Where's your bicycle? <laughs> anyway. I picture it being the one, like a, like a teal one, with a little basket on the front. Well, I don't know why, and it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, this guy kind of looked like Abraham Lincoln a little bit, so I always assumed that it was an, it was an Abraham Lincoln hat, but it wasn't. It was, it was just, it was like, it was apparently a stocking cap, um, because, you know, if your head's warm, the rest of you is warm, but uh, even if there's a <laughs> What was but, the sentence of him doing this? We don't, he was, he went, oh, <laughs> no, 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 he was not mentally stable. Okay, let's oh, just. I really right. needed to laugh like that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know what you were laughing about, really. But let's just. Um, what, what? What? Oh, I can feel a oh, smoke praise coming. the Lord. Look out. Yeah. Oh my! Uh, I don't know. Not necessarily. I mean, what else is going on? What's what? How is everyone? What are you thinking about? I Did, have a yes. Yeah. So you oh, heard this is like you totally got, like off topic. That's fine. Go for <laughs> it. But um, so you know, like you heard like urban legend myths and creatures, right? Yes. Like the hellhounds and yes. All that. Do you think those are real, or it could just be like demons on Earth? Or oh Lord! Do I think that okay? Okay, let's let's let. I want to go on the record with saying that I do believe in Sasquatch. Okay, I believe that Sasquatch that some kind of you know you know Bigfoot uh, that there was at, at least at one point some kind of tall hairy like ape kind of creature in different places all over the world and that they haven't necessarily been found. Okay, I, I think that's a thing. I think that was... Uh, in fact, when, when I went to Bethel last year, we had Saturday off because the, the conference was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then, and, then Saturday, and then we were staying so that we could go to church on Sunday morning. And uh, we went to 
so we had the whole day on Saturdays with me and my brother Caleb. And, uh, and we had the whole day on Saturday, and we were like, what, what are we going to do today? We, got it, we slept in, and then we got up, and we're like, what are we going to do? So we decided we were going to go see Black Panther, but that wasn't until like that mm-hmm. night. And, and so we're like, what are we going to do? We have the whole day. And we wanted to just hang out. We didn't really want to. So we found out that the Bigfoot capital of the world was only an hour drive away. So naturally. So we drove Natural. up there. Naturally. Do you know you know the you know the the movie the the like the the most famous Bigfoot clip where he's like walking through and kind of looks back and then keeps walking. Okay, it was filmed there. It's an hour from Bethel, and it's so so we drove we drove up there like to this car. place, right? And we went to go to the Bigfoot museum, but it was closed. That's upsetting. It made me so mad. I was just like, I'm here once in my life, and it's closed. So we went to Bigfoot Pizzeria. We had pizza for lunch. It was pretty good. No, it was just shaped like a normal pizza. I was like, why is it called Big? It should be like the shape of a foot, right? But no. And it was fine. It was it wasn't great, but it was fine. And then we went to this coffee house who had they had great americanos, by the way. I have to say it was fantastic. But we went to this coffee house, and and Caleb's like, I gotta ask somebody, have you seen him? to the lady behind the counter. And she was like, no, but my boyfriend has. Crazy. It's like, what? And she goes, everybody around here has seen one at one time or another. Like anybody that's lived here the whole life has, has pretty much seen, you know, a Bigfoot at some time or another. Like that's where, and I was just like, that is so cool. And then we went for a walk down by the river where that video was filmed. And, uh, I got a couple of rocks that I took, that I brought back for my kids, and I was like, these rocks could have been peed on by Bigfoot. Oh <laughs> Plus, they were pretty nice. But I was like, this, is, this rock is from Bigfoot River, and I show them the, the thing, and they were all like, wow, that's awesome. So I got cheap, uh, really cheap souvenirs that way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> I wanted to take them something back, you know. So we've this, and the rocks, there was all these different kind of rocks there on that river. Really, they were pretty. They were really beautiful like stones that had been, you know, smoothed by the river and everything. But at the same time, they were from the river where Bigfoot is, was in that video. That's cool. Anyway, so I think some of them maybe, but I've also, and do, okay, like for instance, like ghosts, okay? Or, or aliens or like any of that kind of stuff are either humans interpreting something they saw in an incorrect way or like angelic slash demonic, like, because the truth is we don't know hardly anything about the invisible world, but we do know that there are, uh, forces and intelligent beings that exist in the invisible. We don't really understand everything that they do or why they do it. Cause the Bible just doesn't say, uh, the, so far as we know, Okay, like when I was a kid, I always used to think that there was like this army of angels and this army of demons, and they were kind of like all the demons wore the same uniform and all the angels, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was like G.I. Joe versus Cobra. Like, like we've got these, you guys don't know that reference yes. at all. That makes me sad. But anyway, so, so, so like, but, but the reality is that that whole world, so far as we can tell biblically, uh, is not like that at all. It's not uniform like that. Like, there's creatures that sometimes they're, sometimes they are in agreement with God, and sometimes they're not. And there's creatures that that it's not like Satan is is in charge of all the demons. That's not how it works. It's um, 
In fact, Jesus pretty much said as much. He was like, if, if I, if I'm casting out demons by, by Satan, then whatever. And, and, uh, but like that, that whole world is just as I, just as di- the whole invisible world is just as diverse and weird and, and, uh, uh, disorganized as the visible world. And so Bigfoot might be some kind of demonic creature that's just like tricking people into things or, or some of these other things like Chupacabra, you know, might be like, you know, like some kind of demonic. I'm, I'm just saying like there's a, every culture in history has mythical beasts. Okay. And so they may be, they may be invisible world, like invisible realm creatures that are making themselves manifest in some way. Who knows? It's a big question mark. We just don't know. It just, we don't know. And the Bible didn't see, see it necessary to, to tell us. Now the Bible puts, the Bible does say, don't talk to them. Like us and the invisible realm are not supposed to be in contact with each other. Every time it happens, bad things happen. Ouija boards, mediums, divination, all of that stuff. Any time that the, a human element is trying to uh, uh, influence or be influenced by the invisible realm is bad. It's just bad. Just don't do it. Just stop. God's like... Let you listen to me and to my Holy Spirit and don't worry about the rest. And, and, you know, that's why, you know, there's so many things all through scripture where the apostle Paul's like, test the spirits to see if they're from God. Uh, Pay attention. If there's something supernatural going on, it's not necessarily good and it's not necessarily evil. It's just supernatural. So don't get your doctrine from angelic visitations, okay? Don't get... I saw this whole... There's been whole new... Uh, there's been a resurgence for some reason of old videos from Bethel of like the gold, the glory cloud, okay? Which has happened there many times. It's happened at First Assembly of God, okay? Uh, more than once. Uh, my dad was preaching in Mexico when it started raining in the room that he was preaching in. Okay, so, like, there's stuff like that that's interesting. Okay, back in the 90s, we used to see weird stuff. Like, you know, just crazy weird stuff. Uh, People falling all over the ground and laughing hysterically for no reason at all. Uh, Like... Uh, weird miracles, diamonds that just appeared in people's hands and, and gold dust that would like, you know, or there was sometimes there was like manna. It kind of looked like it was just this flaky white stuff, but it was like bread and it would just appear in piles, different places. And all that stuff is whatever it is. The, it's not important. Angels flying around in the sky in India. Who cares? Jesus is who showed us who God is. If that stuff happens, it happens. We're not going to draw attention to it. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. We're not going to, we're, we're not going to, like, we shouldn't put it on YouTube. We shouldn't try and glorify it. Physical bodies being healed, uh, demons being cast out. All of that stuff is stuff the Bible talks about, stuff we should probably expect to see every once in a while. But it's not the point. 
And I would say the same thing about all this other, all these other kind of conspiracy theory kind of stuff. That it's interesting. I love watching conspiracy theory videos. They're mm-hmm. so much fun for me. I love watching videos of the guys that spend all their time outside hunting Sasquatch. I think that's hysterical. I think. Huh, I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, see, like, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. I think anybody that gives their entire life to that is stupid. Have you seen the movie Sasquatch Game? I don't think so. The same creators of uh, Napoleon Dynamite. It's, it's <laughs> That's truly a great movie. Uh, anyway. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, I love Scott Pilgrim. I know, I Scott such Pilgrim. a good Scott movie. Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, so good. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is so good. You may be a vegan. Actually, you may be vegan. But you're about to be gone. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> anyway, I really love that movie. so yes, I, I adore really that movie, hard. and that is my favorite scene: is is the fight between him and the it's vegan. So is my favorite funny. scene when he's got his bass out and she's like D D D. I literally yeah. was in awe. Of that movie. <laughs> what is? I this? adore that film. But anyway, um, but anyway, so so, it, I think it's fun. I, I just don't think we should pay it much attention, you know. Um, do I think people like the UFO thing? Um, do I think there are aliens from other planets that are visiting our planet? No. I think that's a spiritual thing. In fact, there's tons of, uh, like, there's ministries that actually minister the gospel to people who, have, who say they've been abducted by aliens, and usually those people are demon-possessed. Um, and the things that come out, like, if you, uh, they do, like, hypnotic regression with people that have, that have, been abducted by aliens, and the alien will manifest in that person's body and say things in like ancient Babylonian and stuff like that about how, about how, uh, and they always talk about Jesus. They're always like, Jesus is a false god. I, I am the true god. All yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh no. Seriously. That's okay. Wild. I think all of that stuff is just plain demonic. I think some of it's connected to the whole Nephilim thing. Um, which, uh, from what we can tell in Scripture, probably will resurge at the end of the age. Like, that will happen again. Um, uh, there's several reasons why I think that's a possibility for things that will happen in the end times. Uh, so, anyway, but I, don't, but I think anybody that spends any real time on that stuff, like, that that, that becomes the center of their world in any way, is a mm-hmm. fool. I just really do. And I... And so there's whole ministries that just spend their time talking about like Nephilim and the Book of Enoch and aliens and ghosts and all that stuff. And I just, it's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of time. We don't understand the gospel, let alone. Let's get back to 101, please. Okay, and there's a lot of people that say that Bigfoot is a Nephilim, which I think is hysterical. But uh, but anyway, so does that make sense? Yeah, Harry Potter was not the only thing that said. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, uh, I am I I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Talking about a, I'm a massive Harry God, Potter fan. Sorry, we kind of been on a big one. Oh, yeah, no. It's the first thing we watched post-fact. I adore yeah. Harry Potter. You're on addiction. I have read the books I don't know how many times. I could beat anyone in this room at Harry Potter trivia. Let's go right now. 
first month. There is nobody in this room that can beat me at Harry I Potter watched, trivia. I can't beat him. I just watched all of them for the first time this year. <laughs> <laughs> She's I impressively good at retaining information. It's honestly, it's disgusting. Like I don't know how she does it. It freaks me how out. How many claws? Yeah. Have you seen the flag? Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's like an outline of a, of a lion. It's not even... <laughs> Don't ask me a, a not real question. I figured you would like jump to something. I, I'd like spark something. <laughs> don't don't ask me a not real question about Harry Potter. Understand? Understand? The biggest reason I love Harry Potter is what the story's really about. The story's really about sacrificial love. The story's really about the the pursuit of power versus the laying down of power, which is a gospel story. The, 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 the story is about choosing love over hatred, about choosing selflessness over selfishness. The story is about how power for power's sake always defeats itself and how selflessness and emptying of oneself defeats power every single time. That's what the story's really about. And if you read the books, you can see it is blatant. <laughs> and beautiful. It's the gospel. It really is. And in the last book, she quotes the Bible like four different times. It's true. In the Deathly Hallows, the Bible is quoted multiple times. Not kidding. The only one I can think of is on Harry's parents' tombstone, it says the, the, the last enemy to be defeated is death, which is a quote from the Apostle Paul. Okay. They don't tell you it's a biblical quote, and Harry doesn't recognize it when he reads it. In fact, when he reads it, he says, that sounds like something a Death Eater would say. <laughs> but we know who it was quoting, and we know what it means. Because it wasn't the kind of the, the whole point of that book is, is all about is, is death. Is vulnerability a friend or an enemy? Voldemort refuses to be vulnerable and therefore loses everything. And Harry chooses vulnerability and wins the day. Which in reality, you know, Gryffindor is supposed to be the house for the brave people. To be brave, you must be vulnerable. I took that test like 12 times, and I'm still pissed at who I am. What are you? freaking Ravenclaw. Nobody even cares about Ravenclaw. No, Ravenclaw is awesome. I'd rather be Ravenclaw than Hufflepuff all yeah, day long. Why is Hufflepuff so irrelevant? Nobody talks about Hufflepuff. I'm, I am Gryffindor. But I don't feel very Ravenclaw. But I took that test so many times. I'm, I'm Hufflepuff. I'm, I'm Gryffindor. For sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, Ravenclaw is awesome. No, you shouldn't I'm not be jealous. I was just so you shouldn't happy. be jealous. Vicky got Slytherin last time. She said, what? I, I, I'm, Gryffindor I'm Gryffindor. I am no Gryffindor. Slytherin. Um, I pity uh, the fool. I pity the fool. But then like, like, that's, it's kind of like the Enneagram. I love looking at people and being like, hmm, which house do you belong in? Like, be, you know, I want to be a human sorting hat. There's no pros other than they're really That's crazy. not true. I know, I know, I know. That's not true. I'm going to go to Pastor's Prayer. Slytherins. Slytherins. Slytherins are incredibly talented. 
Slytherins are they're they're wily. They're they're cunning. They are. And it's a different kind of intelligence. Ravenclaw is like intelligence as far as like facts. They they know the facts about everything. But but uh, but when it comes to Slytherin, they're intelligent in a way of of getting to their plus. Slytherins will never quit. They're extraordinarily intense, persistent, and savage, which can have negative. But it's also there's some real positive. I mean, look at Professor I Snape.